The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. So welcome everyone to another episode of The Video Insiders. I'm Dror Gill, and with me, as always, my trusted co-host, Mark Donegan. Hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Dror, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a trusted co-host. Yes. If I wouldn't trust you, you know, we wouldn't be doing this show for over 80 episodes. More than 80 episodes. It's amazing. So who do we have today, Mark? Well, Dror, we have another true video insider. We are talking to Jim Jaquetta, who is uh, CTO of Vidovation. And uh, we're going to be talking about some really interesting things around remote production. And so, Jim, welcome to the Video Insiders. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really honored to speak with you guys today. I'm looking forward to it. So are we. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Always happy to talk to a video insider. Well, Jim, why don't you give us just a, you know, a quick background of, of who you are. Tell us about Vidovation. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot we can talk about, but you know, what's happening and what you guys are doing in the area of remote broadcast production is pretty exciting. So, um, yeah, let's launch into it. Thanks for the intro. Uh, uh, I've been doing this uh, for over 30 years, and this I mean uh, video communication. So, you know, vid ovation, it's like video is in our company name. Uh, a lot of it is video transport over various means, either fiber optics, uh, cellular IP. But today we're going to talk mostly about uh, video over IP, but specifically over cellular networks. Yeah, I, I guess that cellular networks give you a reach that wasn't possible before because you can actually broadcast from anywhere. Yes, that's correct. In any kind of telecom, we, we call it the first mile. And a lot of times the first mile is the most challenging. Uh, you know, you're not near a, a major network connection. You know, you're at the sports arena you're at doesn't have a network connection or we're doing a lot with the PGA uh, fishing tournaments, believe it or not. We're, we, we have three uh, fishing tournaments that go on uh, simultaneously, and there's no fiber optic connection on the uh, ninth hole at a PGA course, and there's no fiber connection in the middle of a lake in the middle of nowhere. So uh, cellular really is the only choice. Satellite can be used, but uh, satellite is not always practical. And a satellite can be very expensive. Yeah. So previously, you wanted to broadcast from somewhere. You would bring this huge van with a satellite dish on top, and then you could do your broadcast from anywhere. But that, of course, costs a lot. Do you know what's the hourly cost of such a link if, if you want broadcast quality? It depends. Uh, you know, there's different grades of service. Uh, we've even experimented with... Uh, Elon Musk's uh, the Starlink, and um, it's pretty darn good. I mean, you can get a couple of hundred meg down and uh, 15 or 20 megs up or better. So, so the cost is coming down, and you can use a mixture. So if you have an event where you have the budget for satellite, you can use the cellular as backup or vice versa. Traditionally, when you're doing a, a football game or a golf tournament, you send several tractor-trailer trucks you know, mobile production trucks to the parking lot near the golf course, parking lot near the stadium, 
and you produce your show on site. The trend, even before COVID, as a company, Vitovation was promoting a concept we call at-home production. So what does that mean? It means I produce a show at my home facility, not your home home where you live, but at my home facility. So, you know, you have a master control back at your, your studio or back at the network or back at the TV station. You don't need the truck out in the field, but you have to bring all the cameras from the venue, from the bass fishing boat, from the golf course back to your home. So we refer to it at home production. Another term we use is Remy, remote integration. And cellular is is a perfect choice for it. Yeah, because basically in that case, you need to stream all the individual camera feeds uh, from the field back to the home, to the office, to the central location. Whereas if you have a truck there, you can just do all the production and mixing at the site and stream a single uh, broadcast signal from the stadium. So how does that change things? So as you can imagine, you said it, Dora, that you have to bring all your cameras back. Now, reliability obviously is going to be important, bringing all those cameras back, keeping those cameras in sync with each other. In television, we use a, a, a term, we call it genlock. Uh, what does genlock mean? It's a technical term. Basically, what it is is when we say our video is genlocked, our multiple cameras are in sync with each other. Then there's a layer on top of that for the audio. Now, is the audio in sync? We call that lip sync. So not only does a certain camera have its audio lip sync with its picture, but it has to be lip sync across all the cameras. And we've done... Uh, live reality TV shows where we had uh, you know 40 cameras out in the field and ha- we had them all genlocked all in perfect video sync with each other and the audio the PGA might have 40 microphones open on the course all at the same time you know some parabolic some on the players some on the caddy microphones along the fairway if any one of those mics was out of sync, the show would be awful to listen to or awful to watch. The, the, you know, you'd hear like whoosh, whoosh, or four, four. You'd hear an echo. Um, and because these shows are live, you can't fix anything in post-production. You know, you're capturing it, and it's going out on the air live. So we have no chance to fix it. So you can see the importance of synchronization and reliability. And I guess with the pandemic, you know, the remote production becomes a necessity and not only, you know, in an alternative mode. That's correct. A lot of experts uh, agree that a lot of the initial tech uh, we use for the pandemic already existed. You know, and we've been successfully deploying this at-home production concept for more than eight years. The pandemic, I think, accelerated things. You know, uh, look at Zoom. Zoom has had more product enhancements in the last two years than they did all their the years prior now here's another problem with at-home production i'm a smaller operation i'm a bass association i'm a fishing association i don't have a master control i don't have a facility of my own now what do i do uh, pandemic strikes i can't send trucks to the site i don't have a building So the cloud was nothing new during the pandemic, but the use of the cloud was accelerated. Any vendor that wants to be competitive these days has to have a cloud solution. 
So our cellular receivers have always been capable of working in AWS or virtually any kind of a cloud ecosystem. And then we use industry video transport protocols that are open source. So all the different vendors can speak to each other. I think I saw in your library, um, SRT is a very common interoperable video protocol. Actually, our bonded cellular partner, Avi West, was acquired by Hayvision a few months ago. And Hayvision invented the open source SRT protocol. And uh, SRT includes forward error correction, automatic e re-request, ARQ. In short, uh, they offer robustness of video transport. So our cloud will connect to another vendor's cloud, typically through SRT. So that's kind of the interoperable standard right now. We also use NDI that was invented by NewTek as another interoperable standard. So Jim, uh, when I go to your website, you have some branded products uh, that have Vidovation, uh, you know, tag on the front or whatever, the logo. But mostly it appears that you're selling or, you're, you know, you're, you're marketing, you're specifying other products. So your company was founded really to put together solutions for high quality wireless distribution of video. Vidovation, my team and I, we see ourselves as problem solvers. We love a challenge. You know, we jokingly, it's like, you know, if there's no way to solve a particular problem, well, we got to MacGyver a solution. We got to make a solution. So in a lot of cases, if a solution doesn't exist, we, we make one. So I've been in the business, you know, more than 30, 35 years. You know, in the early days, we, we were more of a coaxial solution, a copper solution. Uh, at my old company, Multidyne. Then we migrated to fiber optics. Uh, then I started Vidovation about uh, 12 or 13 years ago. Wanted to get more into wireless, more into IP. There were certain holes in the, in the industry, certain holes in the offerings that were out there. One of our first customers as, as Vidovation was the NHL, the National Hockey League. They saw some of our wireless technology at a trade show and they're like, could you take that 60 gigahertz wireless link, combine it with a camera, it's got to run for uh, four or five hours on battery, it can only be about yay big, you know, the size of a coffee can big, and uh, it's got to withstand hockey pucks. Now, if you had asked me five years prior, I would start a new company and be making cameras for hockey, I would have thought you were crazy. So we, we came up with a solution and, uh, you know, we did it pretty quickly. Yes, there were some starts and stops. You know, one of the things we learned is um, you have a warm piece of electronics. You know, there's a radio in there. So there's a milliwatt of energy being generated. It gets hot and you're four feet above cold ice. So condensation would form on the lens of, of the unit. So our initial MacGyver to fix it was we put desiccant bags in in the in the camera before each game you know those little little bags you find when you when you buy something from amazon you know yeah keep the moisture out we would send a pallet of these bags to the nhl every game you got to swap this out and they're like come on jim you know this is not a permanent solution so this was a, that was a stopgap, and it worked we would hide them in the unit so one of my engineers figured it out that condensation can't form when there's wind or a breeze. And it was a relatively low-tech solution. Put a little fan, 
mounted it next to the lens, and, and it was the piece of plexiglass in front of the lens that would fog, and just blow a little bit of air across the inside face of the lens. There was moisture in the, in the unit, but it wouldn't stick. Didn't that create some audio problems with, you know, the wind picked up by the microphone? No microphones uh, close to the unit. It was inside the unit. But that's a good question. The camera, this particular camera was used to, I don't know if you guys know hockey, you know, the red line. The puck has to be fully over the line. European football, soccer, the ball just has to break the plane of the line, like, like touch the line. Hockey, it's got to clear the line. And a lot of times it was hard to tell. So we, we made the first generation of camera to watch that, that line. You know, this is fun, Dror. You know, you and I are technologists. We like to build, you know, of course we like to build, you know, commercial things with high scale, but there is nothing more fun than when there's that science project that somebody challenges you with. You know? These are really stories from the field, you know, literally from yeah, the field, yeah. right? Yeah, literally from the field. And I want to update our audience that the speed of a hockey puck is 170 kilometers per hour, okay? So <laughs> it's pretty fast if that thing hits your camera. Wow. How did you test that, by the way, Jim? It had to, it had to withstand a hit of a hockey puck. <laughs> Our contract with the NHL lasted seven years. My team and I, we never worked so hard, but we never had so much fun. Yeah, you, yeah you know, I'm we sure. all became huge fans of the sport. We hung around with management. We hung around with players, different facilities, getting to know people. Just the hockey culture is very fun, very exciting. So, you know, it was kind of like our 15 minutes. In, in, you know, we're the geeks behind the scene. Yeah, yeah, behind the scene. But this is showbiz, so you get to touch, you know, some of it. So this was what was really cool. It's funny, I, uh, my uh, heritage, my, my dad immigrated from uh, Calabria, Italy, to the U.S. with $12 in his pocket. Um, you know, the, the, the true American dream, you know, you can come here, anyone can make it. You know, he worked for NBC, different production companies, started his own company. My, my brother now runs that company called Multidyne. They do primarily fiber optics. So everything I achieve, I'm standing on the shoulders of my dad. So you're also, you're a second generation video technologist. Second generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So when things got tough, uh, you know, my dad passed away many years ago, but when things would get tough, I'm like, Dad, what would you do here? How, what am I doing? I got this camera that's fogging. I don't know what to do. You know, dad, help me, help me. So I, I would get my inspiration from him. But the funny thing in hockey, a lot of the apparatus is Italian. The machine that cuts the ice, the Zamboni. Zamboni is an Italian. Italians invented that. So... The NHL wanted us to test the cameras to make them more resilient to hockey pucks. So they sent this enormous machine on a pallet to shoot hockey pucks. <laughs> and and uh, we, we had a regulation uh, NHL net in our lab, but our lab wasn't big enough. So yeah. we, opened the, we opened the roll-up door of our, yeah. of our lab put the machine out in the parking lot and we would shoot the pucks <laughs> into the lab. Now, again, you trial and error. We probably should have been shooting pucks out of the lab, not into the lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had plywood blocking and we had the net, but a puck got through the plywood 
and almost hit a sprinkler head in our lab. So uh, we're like, we better stop doing it. So we, we did our tests. We, you know, we figured out how to make the camera stronger. And then uh, do, you, do you remember the crazy comedian that would always smash the uh, watermelons with the hammer, Gallagher? If you went to his shows, you would get watermelon on you. He had a big hammer and he'd smash things on stage. So we had an old printer, things that would explode if you hit them. We put them uh, on a pedestal and we shot hockey pucks at it. And we filmed it in slow-mo. So we had fun with, uh, with the machine shooting. Picture an old, you know, like a scanner printer where it's got the glass. So we propped it up so the glass is facing the machine. And we got a slow-motion video of the puck going in the glass and shattering the printer. And then when we were done, we're like, oh man, who's cleaning all this mess up? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, who's cleaning? <laughs> like, we're we're, we're going to be evicted by our landlord, you know? Yeah, yeah that's... really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Well, you know, um, these are awesome stories. Our audience definitely leans technical. And so uh, when I think of wirelessly distributing video in a high quality manner, of course, reliability is central, right? And there's various ways, you know, using uh, forward error correction, you know, FEC techniques. And uh, I know there's ARQ. Uh, Jim, why don't you talk to us, you know, about what techniques you're using, if there's any special breakthroughs or innovations, you know, talk to us about that, because it's, it's one thing to be wireless. It's another thing to be error free, or at least as error free as possible. So yes, you know, like in the NHL project, you know, we, we were going a pretty short distance. We were going from the net to the ceiling, 150 feet, but players could bang into the net so the microwave beam could be disrupted. So in any kind of video transmission, uh, some data resiliency, some redundancy is a good idea. And there's many techniques. When I was in college, you know, we, we called it like, hamming cold or cyclical redundancy. Uh, but the common term today is forward error correction. And the word forward is because the bits are only moving forward. So it's what we would call kind of send and forget. You don't need the back channel because you don't have time to get the reports from the other side. Exactly. So a lot of the systems, you can adjust the amount of forward error correction. But everything in engineering, everything in physics has a cost. You know, there's always a balance. You, you know, more reliability means more latency. And as a trade, but if you want the video to go quicker, less latency, well, then there's less reliability. So there's always that dance of, of turning up or down the, the, the forward error correction. So say you set your forward error correction to 20%. What does that mean? Well, in theory, what that means is you could lose 20% of the packets and still put the video back together. It's not quite that simple. Now there's forward error correction uh, algorithms or techniques. It's usually a, a matrix of some sort, you know, square or rectangular. And what does that mean? Well, the forward error correction could be, uh, say you have a, a frame or a group of packets, say 100 packets, and you set the forward error correction to 10%. Well, you could have 10 packet losses randomly throughout the frame. It'll recover those. The 11th one, too many, can't recover it, it's lost. 
can it do 10 packets in a row? Well, you can tweak it for what we would call bursts of loss. Burst error. Yeah, yeah, yeah burst error is correct. And like the public internet tends to, when there's a loss, it tends to be bursty. Cellular is kind of the same thing. Microwave tends to be, you know, a little bit of noise comes in, you lose one packet, not a burst of packets. Or you design the system to kind of tolerate both uh, short bursts and, and periodic losses. The forward error correction adding 20%, 30% overhead, when it comes to cellular in particular, the cellular has a cost. So forward error correction adds to the transmission cost. So if you add 30% forward error correction, you add 30% to your data usage. And if you're paying, you know, $9, $10, $12 a gigabyte for data, that can add up. Now, modern systems now will sense when the forward error correction is needed. It's on kind of at a low level all the time. And then if they see, if the, the receiver is seeing a lot of losses, hey, let's turn it up a little bit. The ARQ, automatic re-requests, uh, it's like backwards error correction is another way of saying it, is the automatic re-requests, if the forward error correction can't restore the packet. So I said, you know, we're set up with 10% recovery. If we lose out of 100 packets, if we lose that 11th packet, forward error correction can't fix that one. Then we do an ARQ. We go back to the transmitter or back to the encoder and ask for the packet to be resent. But in order for a packet to be resent, we have to save a copy of the packet. So you need a, a buffer or a bucket on the transmit side saving packets in case we need them to be resent. Got to save a copy. And then on the receive side, the forward error correction, the ARQ, we need a buffer to put all the bits back in order, to put all the packets back in order. Video wouldn't work if the bits were out of order. So we need a buffer or a bucket on the receiving side. The decoder says, I missed that 11th packet. Goes back, resend packet 11. Packet 11 comes through. The video's gotta wait for that packet to now come. So again, there's always a fight against redundancy, resiliency, and latency. If we have a buffer on the receiving side, we have to wait. Now, in cellular, the state of the art is uh, 250 to 500 milliseconds, so a quarter of a second to half a second. But if cellular network conditions are not great, which can be common, you need about a second of latency. So in some types of productions, a second is not tolerable. So we're always striving to maintain the reliability with forward error correction and ARQ while minimizing latency. What sort of productions is one second too much latency? Most of the events that we do, uh, one second is, is tolerable. I mean, if you are at a venue watching the game on your phone, you're going to have latency due to the streaming provider sending you the video. There's the delay in there for profanity. So if somebody's expecting to, you know, be be on their uh, Hulu app or their DirecTV app at a ball game and being in sync, they're not expecting that to be in sync. But where it can get challenging is um, when there are interviews happening across. So in golf, for example, or these fishing tournaments, there's commentators at the venue and commentators back in the studio. A lot of the talent is used to a few seconds latency 
in, of satellite. So they just, he just know. So, hey, Bob, you know, what did you think of Tiger's last putt? And then he nods his head even before he finishes the question. And then you don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, those, yeah, yeah, those reporters that always are nodding their heads. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this gets over some of the latency. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's common now in the industry to have return video. So the, the commentator in the field knows um, he's watching the program feed so he can see when he's being introduced. He's also on intercom with the studio, you know, in five, we're coming to you, five, four, three. A lot of time, you know, we can do multiple return paths. We'll, we'll do one where there's a teleprompter. The reporter in the field, a lot of times, is not writing his script. Or he writes his script, but he sends it back to the studio to be edited and fed into the teleprompter machine. But if he's in the field, how does he get teleprompter? We can do return video, and they'll set up TV on a stand in the field. So... You know, these are things, you know, doing this at home and Remy production that became a necessity. You know, intercom through the cellular link, return video. The PGA, it's become very important to um, shade the cameras, color correct the cameras. Take golf, for example. They're shooting Tiger on the green and they're in the shade from a tree. Well, now they're trying to catch a ball shot through the air and they're going in the sky where it's bright. You have to adjust the iris on the camera to compensate for the changes in the, uh, the lighting of what you're shooting. And um, a lot of cameras have an automatic mode, but in television, they rather do it manually. The, the, there's lag, the, the automatic systems, they get confused sometimes. So usually... There's an operator back in the studio. We, we call it shading. The person is usually called a video engineer. So there's a video engineer shading the camera. So he's adjusting the black pedestal and, and the iris, the, the white, the amplitude. So we need to facilitate that over cellular, and we've figured out how to do that now. Mm -hmm. When you talk about cellular, what kind of uh, data rates are you talking about? What does that enable in terms of bandwidth? That's a great question. You know, we, we get asked a lot like, uh, oh, 5G is going to put the technology out of business. I grew up in New York. Traffic is pretty bad, but nothing is worse than Southern California. L.A. traffic is horrible. And um, I've been here about 13 years now. The highways have been on continual construction and they'll add two more lanes to the freeway and, uh, and then they fill up. So some of the cellular carriers have a quality of service offering. So a broadcaster can be given uh, a higher QoS quality of service or their own VLAN to segregate broadcast users from consumer users. So some of that is starting to come out. But for the most part, we're all sharing the bandwidth. And uh, one of the techniques used in cellular is you know, with our cell phones, we have a single cellular modem. Uh, our devices, our flagship devices, either have six 5G cellular modems or eight 4G LTE modems. So why so many modems? Well, if we're at a challenging hole at a PGA tournament or with Bassmasters, we're at a challenging lake or challenging corner of a lake where there's not much cellular the eight cellular modems, we might have 200 kilobits on each modem, but 200 kilobits times eight 
you know, is 1.6 megabits. So that's where the term bonding comes from. We call it bonded cellular. It's really a telecom term. You know, I, I think back in the day, you know, you took um, so many T1 lines, bonded them together to make a DS3 connection. So we're bonding these smaller cellular pipes into a bigger pipe. And a lot of the 5G today is a 5G radio on the front end, but the cell tower core is still a 4G LTE. I think there's been some class action suits too. Like, is it really 5G or just supercharged 4G, you know? But are you seeing improvement in bandwidth? Is the traffic going faster on the highway? It is. But our technology can get a signal in a stadium with 80,000 fans. Well, I was like, well, how is that possible? The radio with the strongest signal to the tower wins. The tower likes a subscriber that has a strong signal because data usage is revenue. If, if some user has a garbage signal and the throughput is choppy, I can't bill that guy that much. Right. And, and he's wasting the channel. Exactly. It's wasting the channel. So we use higher quality modems, you know, more sensitivity more bands, not every cellular provider, not every bonded cellular provider uses modems that seize all the bands globally. Our units could travel the world and we can see virtually every band that's out there. So a lot of times on a, on a lake when our unit is working and another unit is not working, we're able to utilize a band that that other box can't see. So there's a lot of factors, better antennas, better modems, better algorithm. Now, everyone thinks video transmission is dependent upon bandwidth. Well, it is, but we like to put latency first, the delay from the modem to the receiver. So say we have our ecosystem set at one second. You know, in that one second, we have to have time for forward error correction to work, time for automatic re-requests, that back channel, so to go back to their encoder, resend that packet. And if things are pretty bad, that's a pretty fast loop. You know, it can snowball where you keep asking for more and more packets. That might be a, an instance where the encoder turns up the forward error correction to alleviate the need on that back channel. And then the modems are constantly looking at different bands that are more reliable. Now, on top of all this, the SIMs have become more sophisticated. So we use carrier agnostic SIMs. So what does that mean? Years ago, we would have two modems with Verizon SIMs, two modems with AT&T, two modems with T-Mobile, and two modems with Sprint. Now, Sprint is no more. And our unit had eight modems, so it worked perfectly, two each. But you went to a part of the lake or a hole on the PGA golf course where there's no Sprint those two modems are wasted. They're just offline. Then also T-Mobile's not available. So now you're relying on two Verizon, two AT&T. So customers were like, wouldn't it be cool if I could switch the SIM to another carrier? Yeah, exactly. But the hardware couldn't do another carrier. So now the modem itself is carrier agnostic because it sees all the bands. Uh, and our, our most modern units are 3G, 4G, and 5G capable can see all the bands, can work with any carrier, but you need a special SIM. So Vidovation provides 
what we call these special carrier agnostic eSIMs. So typically what we do now, our 5G models have six modems. We'll do two Verizon as the primary, two SIMs with AT&T as primary, two SIMs as T-Mobile primary. We set a primary carrier to save time when you boot up. We could have the SIMs kind of afloat, you know, there's no default. And then they need to search. They need to search. So we find they boot up quicker. So two will try Verizon first. If Verizon's there, boom, they lock. The next two will try AT&T. Whoop, there's no AT&T at this golf course. Then it starts scanning. Oh, I see Verizon and I see T-Mobile. Verizon's a little stronger. I'm going to jump on those two Verizon. So now four modems are on Verizon. Then the last two modems are default T-Mobile. Oh, I see T-Mobile Connect. So uh, throughout the day, as the camera moves on the golf course, so they may start with four Verizon, two T-Mobile. They move out to the ninth hole. It's all on AT&T all of a sudden. The important thing, all this technology I mentioned, you know, forward error correction, ARQ, uh, switching bands, switching carriers, switching SIM settings, all automatic. The customer doesn't even know it's happening. And the bottom line, after you do all of this bonding and carrier switching and really get the optimal signal, what kind of video quality can you get out? Is it HD? Can you do 4K over cellular? We do 4K all the time. We, we now use the latest uh, video code HEVC, H.265. Five years ago, we were using 264, the ADC codec, which was fine. Um, for broadcast quality HD, 5 to 8 megabits was acceptable. And that's 1080p 60, 60 frames? Yeah. Well, in television, you know, in computers, we do 60. Television, we got to be screwy. We got to use 59.94, but essentially 60. Yeah. So not uncommon that we can push 20 megabits per second if needed. Now, with HEVC, the rule of thumb was you save about 50% efficiency, you know, half the bit rate. Our codec that we use, our implementation of HEVC, we see 60, 65% savings for the same video quality. You know, we use video quality analyzers to empirically figure out, you know, gives a score to the video. So why is that important though? A 20 or 30% savings in, in bit rate translates to a 20 or 30 or 40% savings in cellular data. The efficiency of HEVC, can you use it to provide higher quality over the same bandwidth? Like go for, to 4K, was that enabled by HEVC? Correct. Yeah, HEVC is pretty much mandatory. But you can do 4K today over wireless uh, cellular from remote places. Yep. That's amazing. Wow. So our portable box can do one 4K or four HD, and then we have a rack mount unit. The rack mount unit would go in the studio or would go in a flyaway kit or would go in your truck. The trucks haven't gone away. The trucks have just moved. So take the PGA, for example. They're doing Corn Ferry, which is like the AAA of golf. you got to qualify in Corn Ferry to get into the Masters. So a lot of this content wasn't being covered. So now Cellular has given the ability to cover some of these lower-level tournaments. Cost-effectively, right? Yes, exactly. It wasn't cost-effective in the past to cover these lower-level tournaments you know the final is on saturday and sunday the final rounds what about the rounds leading up to it golf fans didn't have access to that now the golf channel has content 24 7 so the pga has the trucks parked in the parking lot of their facility 
because their master control is not big enough. Ah, as additional studios. Yeah, yeah. Here's the other thing. A truck is at a golf venue for a Sunday tournament. It's not available. It's got, you know, oh, can we use that in New York for another tournament? Takes a week to drive there. If the truck is in a central location at the PGA parking lot, it can be used for multiple events in a week, even multiple events in the same day. Now the truck doesn't even have to be mobile. You, you can take away the wheels. Jack it up. We take the wheels off. That's the joke. It never moves. We 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 put the truck on blocks. Wonderful. <laughs> oh boy, that's that's great. Well, this is uh uh Jim, this has been a a really fascinating conversation. And Dror, we always say it, video is so um, complex, it's so vast. There is so much that goes into distributing video wirelessly and how that opens up new content experiences and new monetization opportunities and new fan experiences. It's an awesome conversation. And I'm really happy that we were able to talk to Jim and, and learn about uh, a lot of this. So. Yeah, definitely. It was a really very interesting conversation. Uh, we learned a lot about where production is going, how it's going wireless and remote. And as Mark said, this opens up a lot of possibility. And it was very interesting to hear it from you. And you're not only a video insider, but also, of course, a vidovator <laughs> as, as the CTO of Vidovation. <laughs> Vito Vader, that's right. That's right. And we thank you very much for joining us on the Video Insiders today. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, uh, let me tell people how they, they can find me in case they want to learn more. So you can email me, jim at vidovation.com. That's an email comes directly to me. If you have questions about wireless uh, video distribution, Jim is... Is there to help. Okay. And to all our listeners, we wish you... Happy encoding, local or remote, wired or wireless. Happy encoding. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.